Hey, hi, how, how you doing? Hi. I'm Marilyn, and I'm an alcoholic, no. Um, well, based on my behavior last night at the party, yeah, I need a meeting. I said that into the mic and they're recording this. That's the kind of fool I am. I guess that's what I want to convey too, is that to do good work, I think, on the air, on the mic, I think you need to play the fool a little bit. I think you need to be playful, play fool, and be more adventurous in that process and be looser and find out what your voice is made of. Find out more about what it can do, much like acting. There's a lot of stuff we want to do today. I'll show you how we're going to divide up the time. Uh, part of the time will be spent listening to some of your work, if you brought it on CD. How many of you did bring something for me to listen to and give advice on? Truly. Really? Five? Because it's usually like people, five and then people, no, I want, and I'm like, well, I'm out of time. So, you know, don't do that to me, please. Be bold. Say, I do. Commit. And then part of it will be spent getting the torture part. The part where I get you on mic and t run you through some copy and direct you. And it's actually a luxury to have a director. I don't know how many of you have ever had a director, but as a professional narrator, I have always I had directors. I'm never doing a narration without a director. Radio, yeah, my own show, yeah. But uh, I've learned a lot by being directed because I can't hear it as well as somebody outside of my body can hear it who's good at it. So we'll do some directing. And of course, it will all be recorded, and you can access that however that works. I am a stand-up comic. That's why I asked for the floor stand mic. I've been a comic for 20 years out in San Francisco, where I live. I have been in broadcasting and radio, particularly for 30 years since I got out of college. I have been everything there is to be in radio, it seems. Uh, commentator, producer, talk show host on both commercial and public. Uh, program host, uh, producer, sound designer. I currently have a show on in San Francisco on KALW. It's a half-hour interview show weekly with occasional uh, rabid commentaries from me uh, that's about gay life in San Francisco and beyond because apparently we're so gay there we can't shut up about it. <laughs> we just go on and on about that over there. It's so tiring to be gay. Um, so awful. Uh, but we're doing it anyway, and we're having a blast with it, and uh, you know we're furthering our gay agenda. Right on, and uh, and doing some sound design and some sound pieces and mixing, and so I'm back to producing and being on the air, which has made me a very humble person lately because I realize I have to really practice what I preach. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm still growing and learning with all of you. Uh, I want to just sort of get a sense from you right now what your goals might be, since I'm here to be of service. What you know, shout it out. Just tell me what you'd like to get out of this. What's bugging you about your work? Go. I want to sound like myself when I track. I, I don't want to sound like NPR. <laughs> That's my goal. We get that on tape. All right. Um, yeah, you don't want to be another generic public radio reporter, sound, voice. You don't want to be generic. You want to sound individual, right? What's keeping you from that? What, feel, what do you feel like is in your way? When you, when you get behind a microphone and the headphones are on sometimes... You do radio. The director catches me, he's like, you sound like you're imitating, you know... Radio. Yeah, yeah. that's what I call it, doing radio. Yeah, because it's fun. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's wrong. So cut it out. That's my brilliant direction, don't you think? Cut it out and stop it. I've, I've, I've just landed on these two new techniques. 
cut it out and stop it. Uh, <laughs> all right, so being more yourself. Well, I, maybe I'll get you up on mic and show you a little bit about that, how to, how to do that, because it's always in the how and the showing, I think. That's why I like to spend this session uh, spending more time helping you directly than sitting up here talking technique, which will come in as we go along. Yes, anybody else? What else? Uh, well, it's similar, actually. I like to sound like myself, but I'm starting to get in, into doing documentaries. But I, I like to maybe make it amusing without silly, without it being too silly. Well, a really good way to do that is to rehearse it completely silly and then bring it back. Any of you who've been in theater know that in order to find the right way to perform a script, you have to stretch out. You're nodding your head, sir. You seem to understand these concepts. That's good. Uh, if I die suddenly, you take over. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm aging. It's all I think about now. Um, you'll see. It sucks. Um, women, it sucks. All right, I'm done. It does. It sucks. I want to be a man. Where's my sex change? I'm ready. What do you have? Baldness? Prostate problem? I'll take that. That sounds good. Much easier. All right, sorry. These are my jokes. Um, just weaving them in here, but to, to be more playful, if one of the ways, one of the things I do in my workshops is ask somebody to do the whole copy laughing or drunk, depending on sensitivities to those issues, those things, that. And uh, to do it laughing is all of a sudden to sort of find certain values in the script, in the words, that you can't find unless you loosen up. Can I re-articulate what I just said? Sure. I'm going to sound enthusiastic without silly, not, I didn't mean funny, like... For it to be enthusiastic without sounding. Well, enthusiastic. I, I think when I hear that word, I think of presence. I think of the word compelling. Mm -hmm. I think of the idea of making me listen. Mm -hmm. So enthusiasm doesn't have as much uh, oomph for me. It doesn't describe it as well as what I try to work with with voice uh, clients and, and talent is to really try to be in it with me. Because we can tell, right, as listeners, we can tell when they're not in it. We can tell when they're reading a script. There's more in that than there is being in it, certainly. Yes? All this while uh, doing straight journalism and people are listening very carefully to whether you're there. Yeah. I like to say that word, that's So what's the issue is, how do I put personality into it without betraying any journalistic standards? Is that sort of the idea? Well, I think when you write a story, you write the script. You know how it is as radio people? We have a talent. Our talent is that we hear things without having to hear them. We have an audio imagination. And so when we're writing, you know how it is when you're writing the script? You can hear it. And that's what you're doing. You're writing for your ear. You're try and you're, you're hearing yourself say it while you're writing it, and you're writing it for yourself. And what happens so much, just, I swear, like, in my experience, 85, 90% of the time, and this is kind of what I do when I go to stations and work with people, is people write it a certain way that's supposed to sound a certain way, and they get in the studio to track it, and they pull back from it. And they don't give those words full values. It isn't about personality. It's about giving full value to the words. It's about, if, if, the, if the phrase is the sharp back and forth motion of the rudder, You'd better say sharp onomatopoetically. It's not the sharp. It's the sharp. It's the sharp back and forth motion of the rudder. I'm going to punch rudder, which is volume. 
and I'm going to stretch out the vowel a little bit. So there's four ways that you make words stand out, and this is all modeled on how we speak, right? You can make them louder you can, or softer sometimes, higher or lower, you can change the pitch. You can put a pause in before or after the word or both, complex language, technical, scientific, medical, legal, new language, new words together, new ideas with language, sometimes titles, names of things, names of the program. You can put a pause before and after. Uh, pitch, rhythm, volume, tempo. You also stretch out a vowel sound, right? You can stretch out a vowel. I'll demonstrate. If I say the phrase, you should have seen it, and I say the word seen is the one I want you to hear, so I'll say you should have seen it. Okay, so that's a pitch change. Or you should have seen it. So that's just stretching, makes it longer, so it's longer in tempo. Or it slows it down. You should have seen it is just volume. You should have seen it is all three. You should have seen it is just two. You should have seen it. There I need a little acting because it's not a really great place to put that pause. It's not really suited to a pause, that word. So I add a little visual. And that's the other thing, you gotta be visual, you gotta be visceral, you gotta be physical, you gotta be in your body when you're doing voice tracks. I stand and I do this, the copy at eye level, and I have my hands free. All right, so I'm like, so look, it's funny, but I'm like talking, yeah, aren't I? So then I sound like I'm talking, it's amazing. <laughs> These things are a lot simpler than we make them. Yes? My issue, I have two. One, that my natural voice, I think, is too enthusiastic, so I need to tame it down to sound more authoritative. And then I also think it's finding a voice that I'm comfortable with, because it changes all the time. So I don't think I have a goal voice that I want to sound like that I'm comfortable with yet, so I'm kind of... Want to know what I think of your voice? Want to know what I think you need? What? You need to... Uh, do a rehearsal of about 15 seconds worth of copy on, a f on one pitch, on a low, monotone pitch. You need to break yourself of the habit. When you say the word enthusiastic, it's because there's too much inflection. There's the arbitrary use of pitch, which is also called sing-song. Sound familiar? Well, let's just dig right in. Oh, wasting time here. Let's get to it. So that's why don't want to uh, in the later part. Why don't I have you get on mic and read some copy, and I'll show you how to stop doing that. Because here's the deal: you don't change the pitch arbitrarily. You only change the pitch when it's a word you want me to hear more than the other words. That's how we talk. This is all modeled after how we talk to each other. I'm an actor. I mean, that's my training. I mean, I pose as a journalist because I'm really smart. But <laughs> and my mother was an English teacher, so I better do something besides be an actor. Uh, apply those skills, those language arts skills. What? You already spoke. God. Someone else. No. I refuse to take your question, sir. Someone else. What else do you want to get out of it? Well, as a freelancer, I feel like mine also changes every story I do because I have someone different in my headphones every time. So I'd really like to understand what it is that I bring that I could, you know, kind of keep consistent. I mean, obviously, you're, you know, you always want to listen to you know, the person you're doing the story for, but if you're doing a story, you know, 10 different stories for 10 different people, you know, you're taking 10 sorts of direction, and I would just like to understand what it is. Well, here's the thing I'm hearing when you say all that is, where are you, where's your direction? Where's your authority? 
I mean, you know, don't get pushed around. Of course, it's easier for me to say, look at me. <laughs> but don't get pushed around. I mean, isn't it partly what you think is the right way to sound? Right. And I'd really like to know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sound confused. Are you confused? I'm a little confused, yeah. Uh -huh. It's true. I, when I, several years ago, when I was in grad school, we had a... I had a radio seminar, and we actually had a debate for two hours about my voice. <laughs> so you're damaged, uh-huh. And you're in therapy, that's good. Um, all right, well, since you're brave enough to expose yourself and play the fool, like you just did, you opened yourself up like that, would you let me direct you through some stuff towards the end of the session? And we'll see if we can find her and make her push others aside. Good. Yes, please, in the back. Um, I'm often in a position where I have to direct, and I'm not very good at it. And uh, it's one of those things where I can be like, you could go faster, or you should go slower, but that's not helpful. Really good. Oh, no, I'm just Yeah, kidding. I know. I'm like really talented at directing, so um, I'm just... What, <laughs> what do you direct? What is your job? Tell me about you. Uh, I help produce a public radio show. And, uh, a what? A public radio show. I help produce a public radio show. A public radio show. Yes? Thankfully, I'm never on air, so you never have to work. That's a The abstract impression of everyone. All right. Where are you based? In Philadelphia. Uh huh. What's the show? Justice Talking. Uh huh. And so our host, she's a reporter. For she's an NPR reporter. And so it's different to have her be a reporter, but be a but have her switch and be a host voice versus a reporter voice, because she sounds different. And right. It's one of those things where I'm having to, um, and I, it says it, I just want to be in the position where. Well, how about what's your name? Viet. Viet. Yeah. So Viet, why don't you just watch me direct, and maybe you'll absorb some stuff that way. But it's really important. I can tell you some of the techniques I use are the techniques I want people to use on me that are used when I'm doing narration and somebody's directing me, um, and that is, I want you to tell me how great I am, a lot, <laughs> and then I want you to tell me what to do after you tell me how great I am. That's what I need. I need you to go, that was good. But let's try it another way. It's manipulating. I, and I know I'm being manipulated, and I don't care. I'm like, I like that. I am. I like to be manipulated. It's fun. Just tell me I'm good, and then tell me what else I need to do that's not right. You know, but don't come up with, you know, you could be faster. Uh, you know, you could be pushy. You know, it, it, it makes me defensive. You know, if you, if you don't approach me the right way. I, don't, I try not to be too prickly. I'm a pro at it, but I'm sensitive. Voice is emotional. It's, a, it's, it's emotional. It's deep. Uh, uh, yes? Um, what I do is we do pre-produced. So, like, I've already had the piece down, and then I go and I write the scripts. So, like, my problem is I sound monotone sometimes, and I'm trying to get feeling of the moment in the piece, and it's already written down. And so. Do you mark the script? I mark it, but it's, what do you do? It stays in my head. What do you mark? I like underline certain words I want to like. Um, right, inside. operative words. Most of that stuff stays in my head. Like I don't mark my scripts a lot. Start marking them more. So give yourself a roadmap so you can see where you're going, so you don't have any, you don't miss some of the important words. Underline the important words. Underline the words that communicate the meaning. The operative words. And then I use a forward slash for breath marks. I've been doing this 30 years, and I'm still underlining some operatives and still marking some breaths. I'm still marking because it helps me nail it. It helps me under that pressure of a professional voiceover narration. I don't do many commercials. 
And, uh, but it's that, you know, corporate narration stuff and documentary stuff that I do. And, uh, and I'm still marking. And that's 30 years later. So I need it. I need to have, I mean, it's radio, it's audio. We can have visual reminders. I'm going to tell my people who are live announcers, you know, put up signs. WGBH radio put a picture from my website with a sign, are you talking to me? Underneath it in their control rooms because they were having a hard time, they were too announcing, doing radio, instead of talking, which is really essential for music hosts because there's so much competition. You better make it special. You know, you better be something I can't get anyplace else besides this is that was. So we talk a lot about that, but. Mark the scripts more. Maybe we'll get you up. Other goals here? Yes, in the back there? Sure. And then the lady behind you? I guess uh, for me it's a little like the woman up there. My voice sounds kind of like a kid, and I'd rather um, not sound like a kid. <laughs> Unless you get jobs in animation, and that's good. Yeah, that's big money, baby. Um, all right. How about behind her? Yeah, I think mine is similar. Um, where I work, I think they really desire an authoritative sound, and they, um, when I started there, they said I could never be on the air because no one would um, believe anything I'm saying to sound like a child. Right. Like it's a problem for women, many women. Right. But I'd like to have a conversational style that isn't just this authoritative thing, because I don't think I can pull that off. But how can I still do work? It's good. You know, I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to tell you, the weirdest thing. This is so effective. I mean, I'm really into simple, quick ways to get to the results. I'm not a process person. I you know, hate to rehearse. Like, I want to perform. If you take your facial muscles, when you're doing it, are you talking about news? Yeah. Or news, as Linda Wertheimer says? Sorry. <laughs> I just heard it the other day, and I was like, nee. and I was sitting in the car going, news, it's the news. All right. That's why I don't have a job. Uh, I just alienate everyone. Uh, and that is to take your facial muscles and scrunch them up. In other words, look angry. Look kind of like, well, kind of like a Shirley Temple pout. Well, I don't know. You know, kind of like, kind of like a Shirley Temple thing where you're pursing your lips forward and you're frowning, unless you have like a Botox problem. Um, but you, you know, try to create a frown. Those of you who are complaining about that are not complaining, but noted, you know, bugged about that. And what you'll end up with, I'll show one of you, okay? I'll show you that what you end up with is a more authoritative sound, no matter what your voice sounds like. It's the way the facial muscles, the, these are the shapers, right? The articulators, teeth, lips, tongue, jaw, eyes, eyebrows, gestures is important. The breathing is from here. The other thing you might be working on, need to work on is breathing. I work a lot with my women clients on, Breathing. They aren't breathing enough. They're hiding the breath. They're afraid to take the breath on mic. They're not breathing diaphragmatically. They're not letting go. Actually, once they take the breath, they're not putting the air through their vocal cords. Let me, let me demonstrate the difference. I mean, I'm, I'm practicing all the things I'm, desc I'm describing here. But right now, what I'll do is I'll take away, I'll, I'll try to not exhale. I'll try to not exhale while I talk. And that's the kind of voice I'm going to get. I'm going to try not to let go of the air. I'm holding onto the air right now. And here's what you get when you let go of the air. You get resonance and power and authority. And so you don't have to have, you can't have, women can't have the men's voices that are really rich and low. So we have to compensate by working harder at the breathing and working harder at, for, at, at being more this way. You'll get a, it's today in the news. Instead of today in the news. 
It's totally different. The way you use your face to shape that sound, as well as with the tone of the story. Obviously, the tones of all the stories, you've got to have the right tone. And we'll talk more about that if you want. What else? Anything else? Anything? Go ahead. Shout it out. My place tends to get deeper. I'm talking about something that's real important. It's opposite of the problem that she's having. I have a regular voice, but I sound like a man sometimes when I'm recording, so I have to record over again. Like, not like a real dude man, but I sound like a woman. Cross-gender and I don't know how to, how to like make that transition other than keep doing it. Well, you know, and that's the other problem is a lot of you aren't on the air every day, right? You're producers and reporters. You're doing pieces every other day or every month. And so kind of it's harder to do voicing because you kind of have to remember how to go back, go back into it. And so you, you need more prep for it. You need to practice more. I would suggest to you, to those of you that this might appeal to, is to, is to you know, read copy into a mic for two minutes a day, five days a week, and listen back to it. Put it all in one thing that you can listen to 10 minutes on the way to the hardware store on a Saturday morning, grocery shopping, or while you're folding the laundry. Just listen to the 10 minutes. Spend more time with your voice and spend more time using microphones and, and delivering copy into the microphone, especially if, if you're just an occasional tracker. I mean, because it's really, it's like remembering once you get going, then you're like, oh, well, now I start to sound better. Oh, we're out of time. You know, it's a... You don't want that. You don't. You want to. You want to. So you want to do more warm up before that session too, because it's been a while. So I like singing, humming. You gotta. You know. I don't eat sugar anytime near a voice track session. I'll do dairy, which is stupid, but I, the sugar is worse for me. Everybody's individual. Figure it out. But do some singing, and that'll bring up the mucus issues, and uh, and warm up the voice. Or humming, if your voice is tired and it's late in the afternoon or it's late at night and your voice is tired, stop talking for an hour and just tell those around you. <laughs> Honestly, if you just rest your voice for an hour before you track, that should help it and then do some simple humming and warm up. Yes, please. That, all that stuff can work if you have plenty of advanced notice that you do have to track something, but sometimes it'll happen that I'm you have a really fast turnaround piece. And, Understand. And I'm tracking like 10 minutes before it has to be on the air. Um, and because it's such a fast turnaround, my writing maybe hasn't been so great. So I have lot, big blocks of copy, which I find it really hard to, to get. Are you marking it? Well, because I'm under such deadline pressure under those circumstances. Otherwise, I would. Yeah. All right. So in one minute, how long is the, how long is, how long is the, tra or is the piece that you're doing under that pressure? Uh, Two minutes, three minutes, spot news? What is it? Four, four and a half. Four and a half. Wow. And how long do you take to track it? Uh, it just depends on how, how close up to the deadline I am. But that's. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that you don't have time to mark it? Or you don't have time to warm up? Uh, sometimes not, but I guess maybe if I did just take that extra. I can, I can do a warm up. I can warm up in 15 seconds. Hum, 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 radio voice, radio voice. Hum, hum, radio, 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 okay, radio voice. Okay, radio voice. Oh, I didn't even smoke last night. Okay, I'm ready. People are a little more inhibited in public radio, but I'm from the theater where everyone acts out and tries to get attention all the time. And I wish public radio people could be a little looser about that and, and, and be cool with each other about it. Like, oh, they're, doing, they're really into this. Instead of like feeling like you can't, because I don't know, no one else is. 
<laughs> it's only funny because there's truth in what I'm saying. And it, it bugs me because it's not like you'd go out and play a trombone without warming up or, or take a run or any other kind of performance. And so in 15 seconds, I just showed you what I would do. I do a lot of facial stretches. When I'm coming down here from my room, I'm like, I'm like trying to warm up the facial muscles because I got to get good diction. I got to have my mouth open when I'm doing this. I'm not going to do it like this. That's going to sound like this. I'm going to do it like this. One of the reasons I get cast as a narrator is because I have good diction. Well, it's because I'm like warming these things up. And I have good ears, so I know how to get the Christmas there. So I'm warming up the, and I'll do Peter Piper, Pit, Tobacco, Pickle, Pepper, see, Peter, Sally, Sally, I'll do all that stuff as fast as I can. I have this other phrase I do before comedy, gay teenager, gay teenager, gay teenager. And I have to practice that really hard because I have a punchline that says gay teenager. And if I don't do that, I'll come out gay teenager. And it's really not funny. <laughs> and humiliating. And the gay teenager is just a mess. So. I'm practicing that. I'm practicing whatever I need in a quick amount of time. So 15 seconds, you're sitting there getting ready to track. You should be, you know, shaking off the face, taking a few deep breaths, you're getting oxygen to your brain. You're gonna be able to concentrate on the read. And concentrate, why I like marking the copy is because it helps me focus on being in the story. I'm not worried about, did I hit the right word? I'm not worried about, where do I take a breath? I'm out of breath, oh no, uh, blah, blah, blah. The minute I'm thinking about all that stuff, I'm not there with you, the listener. I'm not talking to you. I'm busy with my process. And so for me, I like to mark it so that I feel like I can, my job, once I'm delivering the take, or live or not, is to just think about what I'm saying and try and tell you about it. It frees the intuitive side of my brain up by doing that analytical work with the script before. Gabish? What else? Um, I love listening to Zwerdling and to Krolich and a number of the NPR people who really just sound like they're talking the copy. I like the title of the seminar. But when I try to talk the copy, when I listen to what I've recorded, it lacks energy. Energy. Yeah. That's a, such a nebulous term. Well, I wonder if you no, mean tempo like, or if you mean like, volume. Kind of like enthusiasm. It's one of those terms that I just feel like I'm flat. I feel like it's not as interesting to listen to because it's too laid back. Like there's not enough. To me, I've always thought that when you're on the radio, you do have to inject a certain amount of, for lack of a better term, artificial energy in order to make that. It's lead. performance. Yeah. And that's why I guess what I'm asking is to what extent are they performing, but just in a different style that sounds more conversational? Well, it's a combination, isn't it? We want to sound authentic and conversational. But in my book, I believe, and I disagree with a lot of, I have, not disagree, but I have some perceptions about what I hear in public radio that are at odds with what public radio thinks is good. So I'm out there rabble-rousing about these things, fearlessly. And with so far no bad consequences. Uh, and so it seems to me that it's a combination of, you wanna sound authentic, you wanna sound like you're just talking, but it's a craft, it's a craft, it's performance. You gotta breathe, you gotta open the mouth, you gotta have good diction, you gotta use the hands, you gotta use the face, you gotta think about all these jillions of things. You gotta take the breath in the right place, you don't wanna run out of breath. You don't wanna let yourself go beyond a third, below a third of a tank, third to a half of a tank of air. You're always looking for opportunities to add air because you want consistent modulation. And so it's, it's all this technical stuff. I'm a technique freak. And then 
some, my biggest problem, I'm sure you could imagine, would be that I overperform. Right, so what's really good for me is sometimes what will happen in workshops is I'll have somebody and they'll have it all together and they'll be thinking about it all and it just sounds really crafted, the take, but it's not really there yet. So I'll say, you know what, forget everything now. Forget everything, don't think about the breathing, don't think about it, just follow the marks and go. And use the phrase, well, Marilyn, right before you start the tracks, which is something some commercial or somebody, I don't know, somewhere in some studio somewhere, somebody told me this. Some guy said that he had this well, John, then he just takes it out. And that helps him start the copy conversationally. And it has proven to be, over the last year or two that I've been using it in my workshops, the quickest fix to sounding conversational I can think of. It's remarkably different, the take that starts with well, Marilyn. Because it's like, today in the news. Well, Marilyn, today in the news. Totally different. It just gets you to be you. You talk about being you. Um, so there's lots of, uh, and then the other thing I really like for directing is, and I like, to, I like to do this when I'm doing copy, which is to see it. Just simple, right? Well, Marilyn, and see it. Man, see it is the best direction I know. Take that from me. Tell your person, now that they've described the woman they met in the village, of the mountains in Peru. Let's do it again and see her. You went there, you covered that, you reporters, producers. You went and you sat in that hut and talked to that person or in that market or at that beach. You went to these places physically with your body, you risked your life to go get this stuff. And then you come back and you're not gonna be in that? You're not gonna see it while you're telling me? You're not gonna see it and, you know, what makes a great actor is somebody who, like, they're telling you they're, they're some childhood memory in the script, in the film. Their head's 30 feet tall. And I think of Jessica Lange in A Thousand Acres. She's telling you about her childhood and this trauma that happened to her. And this actor has got all this backstory she's done. She's got pictures, and she's got the whole thing. And when she's telling you those words that are in the script, on the page, she has all these images that she's seeing as she says these words. And you know what? We watch her and we have our own pictures, and we see it. If you, the reader, see it, I, the listener, see it. And it's a visual medium, isn't it? To me, it's a lot like film. You're painting pictures with sound. And, and you do that in your production, and you do that in your mixing, and you're, you're doing that in the way you script it and write it and, and block it out. So why wouldn't you, if you block it out at the edit and the script, why wouldn't you do the same thing with the actual tracks of, that you're gonna read? Yes, please. Um, real simple question. When I wake up in the morning and I do work on a morning show, um, my voice is an octave deeper. <laughs> and I'm just wondering if there's any, like, I don't often have to do live stuff in the morning, but when I do, how do I get my voice? Warm? Are you warming up? Is that just like just like the humming stuff? Humming and singing. Singing is good. Exercise. <sighs> have you done that? Are you doing that? Um, on the way to the station? Uh, yeah, driving in. Put on a music station that's got some pop music you can sing along to and just sing along. I warm up with Annie Lennox because I can sing. It's in the middle. I'm, you know, it's, it's not too high, not too low. But it's nice and low, so it warms up the lows, which I want for narration. And so with yours, it's just a matter of getting some pitch range. Another exercise I would use for you with that kind of staying in the low and you want to have is this. Do this with me. Come on, come on. We'll call you. Um, 
And that just is a pitch exercise, right? It just tells your body. It's about telling your body what you're going to be needing to do, what it's going to need to do for you. This is an amazing thing, the body. You can do, trust your body a lot in this work. And so you're telling your body right then, we, we have all these different notes. So it knows it has this range. It's already, it's got the memory now of what it just did. And now it will go into those different places because it knows it. It knows how to do it. I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but that's how I feel. I, I work for much more of a, what it feels like to me as a performer. What else before we start listening? Anything else? Please. Um, for the introduction to a show or something like that, what, I feel like off of that script is the most unnatural. You're saying, we're going to do this, then we're going to do that. And I'm coaching a host, and she always lands like, and, blah, blah, there. Like, so I don't know what, how the script should change or her read should change to get from these elements in a way that sounds more normal. You're saying that she's into some bad habits, some sort of uh, rote patterns? Yeah, and I think it's partly the fault of the script, which I'm helping her write. Like, are there words, are there just danger signs that you should avoid in this? There are some words that don't sound good on the air and some do. I guess in a billboard, we just have to get across, like, the menu of what's going to happen. You so your problem is that she's kind of changing, in, is she changing pitch on certain connector words? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the connector words really hard. And we're going to do this, and then, then, we'll, like that, and then, eh, no, I could do a comedy thing, that would be really funny. Um, it'd be like, bad radio, okay. Uh, well, have you talked to her about this? I, I can't figure out how to explain, I, when I try to think of how it would work better, I don't really know how to make it sound better. I don't really tell it really. Tell her that I feel like you're stuck. Tell her this. I feel like, I think, don't say I feel. I think you, uh, I think you get, you've gotten into a pattern with those connector words. Exactly what we're just saying here right now. I once had a problem with a boss, and I went and rang into the general manager, and I was really young, and he goes, stop. And he goes, go get Fred, was his name. So I said, Fred, Bill wants you to know, oh, okay. so he sits down, and then he, he looks at me, and he shuts the door, and he looks at me, and he looks at Fred, and he goes, now tell him what you were going to tell me. And I have to turn to Fred and tell him. And then Fred goes, oh, I think we're afraid of people, so grow some skin. Help her grow some skin. Help her learn to take direction and be, be open to that by saying, those, those words seem very constructive to me. It isn't about showing her how to do it differently. That's her job. She has to find out how to do it differently. You can't do a line reading for her. You can't say, but to just say, I think that you've fallen into some habits, some patterns, speech patterns, and uh, some inflection patterns, actually, is what it is, with those connector words. And this is how I hear it, and, and then, then, and I always feel like you're kind of punching at those and changing pitch on those, and I'm not sure that's the right approach. I'm not sure that's the right approach. That keeps you humble. That keeps you from being uber, right? I'm not sure that's the right approach. I, I think it sounds a little performed, overdone. It sounds a little overdone. Can we just start, you know, um, is it live? No. So have her do the Well Marilyn, or Well, what's your name? Julie. Well, Julie. You know, and, and, and then cut that out with a little pause after it and cut that out and see if that helps her. And then uh, have her underline the right words instead of, don't, and I don't like scripts that have bolds and caps and ellipses and dashes. I don't like to print my emphasis because I, I need to be fluid in that studio. I need to be flexible. I need to work with a pencil. I need to underline and mark with a pencil. I cannot tell you how many times, when I come to a studio, there's always a pencil. 
a professional narration studio, this is it, a pencil, and you're sitting there, you're underlining, they go, no, it's not that, it's that. No, I don't want the puzzle, there it's there. And you're changing it. You're sounding it out. And so it gives you that flexibility. And once you see something in bold or caps, you'll punch it, even though it might have lent itself to just a stretch or a pause. And you're going to punch at it because it's big. And you're just going to do it even though you think, you're, you know, I'm not going to do that. And then you do it anyway. It's just a visual cue. So there's that part to think about, too. One more question. Yeah, I was wondering if you have other marks that you use to show something like a stretch or a rising or lowering tone or things like that. I think that's more of an intuitive thing that happens, you know. No, really. I do use quote marks around complicated language or titles, difficult pronunciations. I'll put quotes in, and sometimes I'll put parentheses in, because that'll make me throw it away, parenthetically. And that's which, such and such and such and such, was the main reason he, and I'll put, I'll put parentheses and quotes, and, that, those, and then the forward slash for the pause and underlining the operative words. But telling myself to go up, that's a little rigid. A little, it's a little, it doesn't give me the sense of being, well, what if I'm in it and it didn't come out that way? Well, then I'm going to stop in the middle of a great take and retake it because I didn't do the mark. You know, you don't want to be too over-controlling of that. Any other questions? CDs. Critique? You want to be critiqued? Sure. He wants attention. We know that. This is Marketplace. I'm Scott Jagow. I just want to say two words to you. Just two words. Are you listening? Plastic bags. There's a great future in plastic bags. Will you think about it? From the Marketplace Sustainability Desk, Jewel Gardner reports. Hear that? That's the sound of plastic bags taking over your life magically multiplying in that space between the wall and your fridge. You may think you have too many plastic bags, but there's no such thing for the Virginia-based Trex company. Accounts manager Ray Hampton. A thousand bags equals seven pounds. And we typically... So, Jewel, what was our problem earlier? Refresh my memory, please. Um, I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to be herself. Yeah. Too she many directors? Herself. Yeah, too many directors, and I think um, my voice being sort of up for debate, uh, whether it's good or bad, kind of thing, has been pretty constant. I don't believe that Rick... I don't believe that radio reporters need to have great, you know, narration voices like, well, like mine. Hey, as a comic, you're either, I'm great, or I suck. I'm great, or I suck. So it's, I vacillate. Um, this is a nightmare. I don't, I think what's important about reporters is that they are good at storytelling. And I find this very engaging. And I find you quirky and full of character. I thought it was fun. I was having fun. It was interesting. The way you opened it up, but take over your life. You, know, you had a good sound. There was you, you talking to me. So that's what matters most for me with reporters. Unless it's hard news, and then it's different. Spot news, it's different. It needs to have authority. It needs to have lower pitches. It needs to be more, have more gravitas. Purchase some material in 40,000 pound increments. So how many directors touch this piece? Uh, two. two I think. So 
when you're going through that, do you just want to tell them to shut up or what? I mean, what, what is... Actually, I had a pretty good one for that. Yeah. Um, there's another piece where I just, I was in a booth by myself with no direction. What did they say about your voice? Um, I think sometimes they say it's too high. I mean, I have some of the same concerns that have been brought up that I sound like I'm 12 kind of thing. But yeah, but that's an asset. You're not going to sound, you don't sound like you're 12, okay? You sound like you're 20. How old are you? 34. <laughs> I just stepped in it, didn't I? I just walked right into that stupidly. That was bad. You know, I'm going to beat on myself later for that. But I enjoy that. Um, <laughs> Here's what I think. I think you're fine. I think you don't need to worry about all this so much. Really. I think you need to keep doing what you're doing. It's obviously succeeding. You're on Marketplace. That's pretty damn good. It was pitch week. Huh? It was pitch week. <laughs> you're bad. But all right. We were just noticing, though, that her speaking voice is much lower than the voice that yeah. was on. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, how about if we do what we said we'd do and get her up on mic in a minute? All right? Okay, fine. Enough about you. Um, <laughs> Well, I got to keep managing the time. Audio from the CL, the CLP, Common Language. You're just also prepared. I just love that. On my 25th birthday, there were a lot of things I'd never done. It was two months ago, and I'd flown into Bangkok with my friends Sarah and Alex to embark on the Common Language Project, a media collective we'd formed to cover positive and underreported international news for independent media sources. All of us were new to this business of running a nonprofit. There were a lot of things none of us had ever done. It's a little too fast and a little too understated. It's not as stretched out. I would have you open your mouth a lot more. What's your name? Jessica. Jessica. I like that it's conversational, but I'm just not able to hear it very well. I'm just not, I'm not make, it's not making me listen to it. It's just kind of she's talking and she's talking about something and it's just like she's over in the end of the room talking to herself. It needs to be more performed, quite frankly. I mean, it needs to slow, stretch out a vowel here and there on some operative words. It needs, I think you need to work the mic closer. I don't know what kind of mic that is, but women with smaller, lesser, pipier, big voices, get up close. Learn to work that mic. Yes, I know. Who invented these? A man. <laughs> I did that joke at the 1993 public radio conference and was never asked back. <laughs> It's, what? Yeah, well, when you're working with condenser mics, it's going to be pretty hard because they love to pick up every. They're too honest. I like working with dynamic mics. Frankly, I sometimes do have to work with condensers in certain recording studios. Um, in which case, I'm working them like this, so I'm talking underneath them, and they're usually sort of angled at me a little bit like this. Hmm? Uh, and I just try and keep my mouth open and, and try not to have the mouth sounds. By keeping my mouth more open, I'm, more, uh, I'm less apt to be kind of noisy and... <laughs> and the, remember the word, until the, unless the word ends in am or you need to swallow, you don't close your lips together. Keep your jaw open. And we want to close our jaws because we're tense. But here's what happens when you close. You get to the end of the sentence. How many of you do that? You're taking the breath as you open the lips, and you're going to get that little sound. So you're trying to avoid that. You want clean. It's tough, though, with condensers. So you work further back, I guess. 
but then that's not as pipey, not as bassy. The closer you are to a mic, the more bass. I had never spent time in a third world slum. I had never walked through a minefield. I had never talked to a prostitute. You don't have this copy with you, do you, Jessica? Uh, no, I don't think so. Can you remember that part right there from heart and, and write down like three, three sentences? I had never been to, can you? Mm -hmm. I know you can, so do it. We'll get you up there. All right, who's the non-label? Yes, ma'am. Okay, and I know yours is in a different package, so which track, three? Oh, I'm sorry. If you're fond of eating clams and oysters, you probably don't like the paralytic shellfish poisoning that's caused by red tide, a seasonal bloom of algae. <laughs> Along the eastern seaboard of the U.S., the Alexandrium fundiense algae is the culprit, and it can cost shell fishermen millions in lost revenue. But it might not for long. Scientists at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute are developing possible solutions to kill off future red tides. Living on Earth's Ashley Ahern reports. In warm, sunny summer waters off the East Coast, life is good for the Alexandrium algae. The single-celled organisms float near... For what? Life is good for what? Alexandrium algae? Need a little more clarity on that. Alexandrium get, got... Alexandrium. Is that what you're saying? Alexandrium? Alexandrium is different than Alexandrium. The ah, eh, eh sounds need the lateral stretch. Police is a lot different than police. Hear it? It's crisp when you open up your mouth, and it needs that crispness right there. Near the surface, photosynthesizing and multiplying like there's no tomorrow. But there's one critter that can take all the fun out of being a free-swimming Alexandrium. I saw these little green bodies inside of the red tide-causing organism Alexandrium, and on closer inspection, it turned out to be this parasite that is found in Alexandrium. Mario Senko was a PhD student at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute when he came across Alexandrium algae's worst nightmare, the Amoebophria parasite. I like this right here. That, that I liked right a lot. I don't care for the beginning. I think it's kind of... I don't feel like you're in it yet. I feel like you're in it more here. And I feel like the beginning was kind of a little sloppy in terms of the diction and just a sense of not being in it. Because you have to get through those, like, his credentials, you know? That's, that's hard to make that. It's hard to be in it, you know? <laughs> no, well, how, no, how, how can you do that better when you're listening? You know, he was a PhD student or he's a, he's a doctor. See it. See him being those things. Okay. Think about him. It's not about how boring it is. You, you have to, it's a lot of acting, isn't it? It's a lot of pretending to care, isn't it? Daily life, no. Um. <laughs> Certainly when I first... But there's some really nice stuff right there that, that really felt authentic and strong and good and conversational. I really like that. What was it you brought up earlier? I just feel like I, I, each piece I get a little closer to sounding like myself, but I uh -huh. still have to fight that instinct to sound like the NPR newscast, you know? I, I have a thought Go. for you, which is to, oh. to, to do your intro in the beginning. You know, you, I think it takes a while to get warmed up with the copy and get into it, and sometimes oh, sure. do your intro after you finish the whole piece. Go back and A lot of times in directing, when I, I direct by phone patch, uh, sessions, spot news, whatever, features, documentary stuff, people just patch me in, they send me the script, and then we sit there and work, and I will, this is, I know to do this just exactly what you said, because people have done this with me when I'm narrating, is we'll come back and redo the first two pages. And these are long scripts with narration. These are big books on tape and stuff like that. And we'll come back and do the first page or two. Or pick up another graph that I got started stumbling on, and, I just, it's, and then it started seeming like, what are these words? 
and I got, spent too long on it, and so we'll come back and do a wild take of that at the end. Because, I, and also, the, something that happened recently when I was directing something by phone was that uh, this was just extraordinary. I'd never had this happen, really. I, I had done this, but I had not experienced it as a director. So we did all work, 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 and it was a coaching and directing session, so we were kind of working through it, and uh, we did like a half an hour work, and and we got all the way through it with some decent selects, and then I said, you know what, let's just go all the way through it. Start from the top, I'm not gonna interrupt you, just go. And it was just like, that's the take. So it's exactly what you say. What's your name, Sandy? It's exactly what you say, Sandy. That it is about, but it helps to get warm up, warmed up a little bit before that. But it's something about being in it that really is important uh, that you get once you're sort of you get over the sort of stress and pressure and whatever was happening right before you walked in the booth and all the stuff in life and people and politics and office and you know all kinds of whatever if you have a radio station job uh, you're nervous also I mean it's the start of a performance and there's a lot of pressure relaxed, yeah. it takes a while to get into it I know with, even with comedy I come out in those first few minutes just for a couple minutes I'm just gonna read the audience and kinda play a little bit and I'm not gonna give out the good jokes I'm gonna wait till I let them get done looking at me <laughs> Well, that's kind of what happens. Um, Maria. Hi. Hi. Where are you from? Uh, Kansas City. And what do you, which track? Uh, track one. Groovy. And then she Generally, when fans head to Arrowhead Stadium, it's to see what's on the field, not what's behind the walls. This Saturday was different. Some two dozen people gathered outside Arrowhead on a sunny spring afternoon to get a behind-the-scenes nuts-and-bolts look at the stadium. Denny Martin, who worked at Arrowhead selling sodas shortly after it opened... You know what it is, Maria? It's a little too deliberate. I like it, but I like to talk about deliberate versus matter-of-fact. And it's not matter-of-fact enough. You're being a little too deliberate with the read and a little too deliberate in caring for all the words. And frankly, radio, mirrored like how we talk, is we're sloppy with some of the words that don't matter. We hurry through, not sloppy, but we pick up the tempo in non-operative words. Every sentence should have a place where it's faster and slower related to those operative words. And so um, it just seems a little careful. Yeah, and I have, I think, a problem, like I'll catch myself doing it a lot, where I kind of run together words really easily, or there's kind of... They, they get kind of, not slurred together, but just kind of run together. And, and so it's, then when I listen back, like I think I might sometimes overcorrect that. Uh-huh. Because if you don't be meticulous about that, then you'll slur or be too sloppy. It's sometimes what can happen is if you can, you can correct it by being kind of meticulous and then do one more take and then relax it, splitting the difference between the two. Uh, you could do an exercise where you over-enunciate everything as, a, as like a five seconds of copy or ten seconds of copy. Sometimes when you do the exact extreme, like if you're monotone, do, do a ten seconds of copy sing-song. If you're sing-song, do ten seconds of copy monotone as a warm-up right before you open the mic. Uh, if your problem is that you're not breathing and you're afraid to take the breaths on the mic, just take, do the copy for 10 seconds and just take a lot of breaths and not think about the breath and just breathe and just keep going and just take those breaths and just get yourself used to remember to take the breaths. Any number of different issues that you individual, we all as individuals have. For me, it's about slowing down, as you can imagine. And so one of the things I like to do is I like to stretch the vowels. 
so that I remember to slow down a little bit because I go too fast. And here, what I would do is to have you just go, I think the Well Marilyn would work since it's produced piece, or Well John, or Well whoever, right? Or talk to yourself, Well Maria. <laughs> no, psychologically strange. Um, but something to kind of let yourself loosen up a little bit after you've kind of done that perfect diction rehearsal, and then bring it, and then bring it back. Isn't Does that make separate, sense? Isn't it a separate issue also that she's evening out the emphasis of each word such that there's no differentiation between the throwaway words and the emphasized words? Yes, and it, it, the problem is that we, uh, in some ways, 35 years of NPR uh, has made us all try to imitate that, and there's some problems with that. There's some problems with some of the sort of cadence of it, the sort of carefulness with the words. Not everybody, but there's some examples that we can all think of, like the barge floats down the Mississippi River. This is a story about barges that's going to bore you to death <laughs> because all of the words are equal. Well, in life, in talking the copy, the words aren't equal. Some words are the stars of the sentence. In other words, you throw away, you get through them, you pick up the tempo, you go to get to those good, juicy words. Just like when you're telling a story, right? It's all storytelling. News, features, documentaries. And when you tell a story to a friend at a cocktail party, you hurry to get to the juicy part, and then you look around and you put a big pause in and wait to see if everybody's looking at you before you deliver the punchline or the moment that happened or what you did when the shark came at you or whatever it was. You know, and so it's just like music, too. Think about how music's created. Those great builds to a huge pause, and we're all in that pause waiting, right? And sometimes it's fast, and then it builds, and then it slows down, or it gets louder. And so all these dynamics, what we talk about as dynamics, really help. And so if I were you, I would just rehearse it a little bit differently. Just, you know, run through a few, few drills right before you do it. Just, yeah, well, Marilyn, and... Try it like that, and then do it over, do the diction. I don't know. Okay, here we go. With the, I can't, now I've forgotten your name. Jean-Luc. Oh, Jean-Luc. Yeah. Oh, yeah, how could I forget that? There's only one track. 30 seconds is on the, and 30 seconds is a, like a studio narration. Well, here it is, Saturday night in Nicaro, and uh, the organ band is playing. The organ's called La Musica. And it's the, supposedly the oldest organ in Cuba. It's 119 years, uh, made in the late 1800s. And uh, it's, it's an event here. It's, uh, it's right outside. Uh, it's on the corner of the street. And uh, the whole town is out here ballroom dancing. Well, right here I'm in the center of Media Luna, a town in Cuba, and I see a organ-playing family. They're sitting around in the middle of the afternoon, about to start playing for the local folks. And so I talked, I approach them and I talk to, uh, to the brothers. One of them starts telling me that the whole family plays, uh, all his brothers, obviously, uh, as well as his father, and his grandfather was an organ player as well. It's a little, Jean Luc, this part, this second part, is a little sing songy. It's kind of up and down, it's kind of a BBC kind of thing where we go up and down because we're the BBC and we can. Because we really want to be singers. And we have a big stick up our butt. Thank you. I said that on the mic into the tape recording. It'll be on the web. People will hear me. I'll be changing my name.
second part is something you said? Yeah, the second part, I feel like you're just kind of going up and down for uh, arbitrarily. Which is what sing song to me is defined as is arbitrarily changing the pitch, yeah. for just inflection's sake. Because I should have some inflection, so I should do something. I know I need to change it a lot, yeah. and that's sing song as opposed to saying I know I need some inflection, so I need to change it on certain words. Right. Okay. Yeah, Does that I make sense? I have, I have no idea what my voice is supposed to be. And I thought that first one. Are you doing a? Li that's not live, but you're trying to sound live. That first part where you're adding the us and. Non-scripted, just as it. Interesting. The first one is totally non-scripted because I'm on location. I'm just talking. How fun! And the second one is also non-scripted, even though I'm in a in a room. Very fun. I think it's hard when you're not scripted. When you're talking about extemporizing, the most difficult thing uh, when coaching executives in speech making, the most difficult thing is when you're thinking of what you're going to say. It's hard to remember how you're saying it. I work with music announcers on the same problem. You're so busy trying to think of what you're saying content-wise that you can get monotone or you can get sing-song or you can forget to, forget to control the form and keep the form interesting. And so what I would do is, if I were you, because I think that's fun what you're doing, you know, this sort of improvisational radio, it's really fun, is I would probably just do a few takes and, and try it a few different ways. And then, and then so that when I got to the producing part, I'd have some selects. Or you were doing, this is not live. Uh, all of it's, how do you mean live? Live on the air as you're talking. Oh, no, no, no. It's right, so yeah. you're recording. Yeah. So giving yourself, you know, a couple of different, several, three maybe. Oh, all right, sure. Three different takes. How, how so you have some... Well, it's, it's uh, in the hall. I'll meet you. And don't set me up. Don't set me up. You'll be. Don't mess with the comic. How do you find your voice? I think you're finding it. What do you mean? How do you find your voice? I'm keen but very green. Look at my turn yeah, just keep practicing. It's, it's, keep going. To Learn to listen to yourself yeah. and just keep practicing. I think you can also find places where you could stretch out the vowel a little bit. You seem a little clipped. Is that what you were going to say, sir? Uh, no. Actually, Please, I was gonna, I was help me. Say, I was going to ask if you what, might help him to script a little bit of it. Notes, like a, like a TV reporter looks yeah, at notes. A little bit mm -hmm. more structure. Mm -hmm. Structured improvisation, which is the easiest way to improv. It's kind of the only way for me. I have to have some notes. I have to have some idea. Yes, please contribute. Um, I, I wonder about that because some of our, I, I don't, I'm not on the air, but I, some of our, I promote radio shows and some of our um, hosts sound like they're reading. And I, I, I keep saying to them, maybe you should just make an outline or notes or index cards or something like that with ideas. Is that, that, that might work, but there's, it requires a lot more stuff in post, a lot more editing. A lot more messing around with the, uh, finding all that and, and cleaning up that and this and that. To me, it's, if they're hosts, they should know how to read copy like they're talking the copy. I mean, to me, it's sort of a standard. Is if they sound like they're reading, they should just get better at the read, which is to talk the copy. And um, so call me. All right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. How, what comedy programs do you produce? I mean, promote. And not comedy. It's not no, no, I know. Um, radio. Just a lot. Of, there are a lot of different types of shows that I I see. So you're in the PR. You're in. You're in sort of marketing. Marketing. Interesting. Can you give me your card afterward? Yeah. <laughs> no, really. Actually, I would. I have. You're in the same state. <laughs> right. Physical. Just nightmare. see me after this show, and Jean-Luc, I'll see you for cocktails later. Okay. 
All right, I'm just kidding. What? Nancy King? Nancy. One. All right, then after this, we will... Forgot to everything. Is this helpful somewhat? I mean, it sort of seems a little scattered to me, but... One. The Dean of American Cookery, the late, great James Beard, called Brunswick Stew nice. one of America's most famous dishes. At a recent Saturday morning fundraiser in Richmond, John D. Clary was cooking up a big batch of stew. In this 95-gallon pot, we have uh, 200 pounds of chickens, 150 pounds of potatoes, 90 pounds of onions, 9 gallons of tomatoes, 9 gallons of corn, and 21 gallons of butter bean. 7 ounces of salt, 7 ounces of pepper. Six pounds of sugar, and that's it, and seven hours of love. Seven hours of love, yes, and a lot of muscle. The thick porridge-like stew needs constant stirring, and men take turns with maple wood paddles the size of canoe oars. John D. uses brute strength to open 16-pound cans of butter beans. Nice. Well, are we liking this? I'm liking this. She's got that butter beans. She's, you know, she's working the copy. She's giving full value to the words. She's actually reading it like she wrote it, with the same feeling that she wrote it with. Folksiness, whimsy, a little bit of whimsy and folksiness. That's good radio, isn't it? Slice of life, chunk of a cult, piece of a culture, regional, got all kinds of appeal. What do you want from me? My question is the exact same killing me. as hers, which is sometimes I feel it's overly dramatic, and when I try to be conversational, it's, I it feel feels like flat. it's bored. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like when I, I, I've done a lot for Marketplace, and then occasionally I'll do something for CBC or The World, and they'll say, you, you sound too jaunty, you know? Yeah. Like, calm down. So I calm down, and then I hear it, and I'm like, God, this is putting me to sleep. We all should have a drink, because I have the same problem. <laughs> Like, I do commentaries, and I'm a wacky commentator, and then I had did this one about aging, and, um, and uh, my domestic partner said, you know, you should do it, like, really more soberly and more seriously. So I did, and we aired that. But every time I listen to all the other ones, they're funny, and that one's just kind of like, it's not flat, but it's depressing. <laughs> and so I understand, and I can't help you, because I, I, I feel your pain, and, and I like what you do. This is nice. I don't have a lot more. Um, who wants to get up on mic and uh, get directed? I, did I get to everybody's CDs who gave me a CD? Good. So, who's my first victim? Go. <laughs> I don't have coffee or anything. Okay, I'll give you some coffee. What, do you do news? Are you I news? do. All right, so I'll give you some news coffee. Up there. Here. What's your name? Amanda. Wait, what's your name? Amanda. Amanda. <laughs> yes. Go. Oh, okay. A new face in the Genentech royalties case. You're off mic. You're off mic. Sorry. Yeah, but point your lips a little bit away from it. Look, hello. This is a way to work it, right? But since that mic's sort of grounded, just come up and talk in, into it like this. Yeah, the lips are going across the pattern, right? So I'm not going to pop. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle peppers. No pop, right? But I'm really close mic'd. Go. A new phase in the Genentech royalties case begins this week. You still keep wanting to move away. You're like this. A new phase. And I want you a new phase. And you keep going a new phase. All right. So a Go. little bit more like this? Thank you. All right. A new phase in the Genentech royalties case begins this week. A jury will decide the amount uh, of punitive Amanda, damages. what are you, a teapot? What is that? Use your hand. <laughs> Use your hand to gesture. All right. 
Because that's what your instinct is. The, hand, the fact that you have your hand there, it means you... And I'm teasing you. I'm, just, I'm horrible. But the fact that you have the... Yeah, you can take it. I can tell. You have a strong ego. Strong sense of self. So gesture. Okay. A new phase in the Genentech royalties case begins this week. Yes. A jury will decide the amount of punitive damages Genentech must pay for fraudulently withholding royalty payments from City of Hope. So you're not doing as much sing-song. Is that because you're aware of it and thinking about it after what I said? I don't know. (laughs) So let's take it again all on the same, on low pitch. Don't go up at all. Okay. A new phase in the Genentech royalties case begins this week. A jury will decide the amount of punitive damages Okay. Try it like that. A new phase in the Genentech royalties case begins this week. A jury will decide the amount of punitive damages Genentech must pay for fraudulently withholding royalty payments from City of Hope, a nonprofit medical center in Los Angeles. We'll take it back to the top and now add some inflection on those operative words. Take a breath at pay. There's no comma. Important to mark breath. Sometimes there's no comma. And don't always obey the commas with all that breaking it up, chopping it up. It's not how we talk. We don't say, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to get some eggs. Bread and milk. (laughs) With that big barge floating down the Mississippi River. (laughs) You only laugh because it's true. Here we go. A new phase in the Genentech royalties case begins this week. A jury will decide the amount of punitive damages. Is it jury? Where are you from? Totally? Chicago. To Chicago. So it's not California. It's jury. But I sound like... How about jury? How about jury? A jury. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> a new phase in the Genentech royalties case begins this week. A jury will decide the amount of punitive damages Genentech must pay for fraudulently withholding royalty payments from City of Hope, a nonprofit medical center in Los Angeles. The jury has already awarded the center... Already? Oh, there's a W in it, huh? What did I do? Already. The jury has already awarded the center $300 million in compensatory damages. This week's award could be much larger. Not at all. You fixed it. You're done. I cooked you good. Who else wants to go? Yes. Oh, wait. I want to. I want to make sure I get to you. Yes, I forgot your name. Huh? Oh yeah, Jewel. Come on up, Jewel. I have a quick question. So yeah. you had her read about any inflection and then had her add it, what does that help do? Say that again? You had her read flat, sort of? Ah, it gets her to break that tendency to want to go up and down just for arbitra- arbitrarily use sing-song. It gets her to stay low so she can't go up, which she took direction beautifully. Uh, it wasn't a struggle for you, so it tells me that you're not going to struggle with this. It isn't a big deal for you to change this. You just... No, I change all the time. I'm also struggling to find voice. What does that mean? Um, like, one day I will voice one way, and the next day it'll be another way. Oh. I, um, do work for various stations throughout Illinois, and there are all sorts of opinions. I'm kind of in your camp, where some people like it, like, my voice can go fairly low, and some people love that. And then, but I think it sounds kind of monotonous. Other times, people say I have too much diction. So there's just kind of competing feedback that wow. I get, and it's, I'm struggling to figure out. How often do you listen to your own work? Um, probably not as much as I should. Start doing that. Stop listening to everybody else and start listening to your own work. Air check yourselves. Listen, you know, once a week, listen to something. How can you not listen to your own work? It's just unbelievable. I know it's, it's, it's grueling. It's painful. I know. I know. It's something I postpone a lot. But, you know, put it on the car when you're driving around. Listen to it when you're not at the station. Listen to it when you're not working. Listen to it when you have fresh ears after a night of sleep. 
and just go, what do I think? You know, really. Hit it, Jewel. Punitive damages are meant to cause financial pain for a company. Hand out of the pocket gesture. Punitive damages are meant. <laughs> punitive damages are. Meant Sounded better, didn't it, though? <laughs> and we did, you know, but it did sound more. It had more like. All right. Punitive damages are. Meant Get a little more on Mike. Punitive damages are meant to cause financial pain for a company. This week in Los Angeles, a jury will determine just how much pain. Okay, let's do it drunk or laughing. I know it's silly. Punitive damages are meant to cause financial pain for a company. <laughs> this week in Los Angeles, a jury will determine just how much pain. Punitive I'll make a fool. Damages are meant yeah. to cause financial pain for a company. This week in Los Angeles, a jury will determine. Keep going. Just how much go? Just how much pain this will make. Okay, good. Now take it back to the beginning, and put a little bit of a frown right here. Okay, and be more serious, and move those facial muscles forward. Now tell me. Well, Marilyn, and say, well, Marilyn, use the hand. Well, Marilyn, punitive damages are meant to cause financial pain for a company. Yes. This week in Los Angeles, a jury will determine just how much pain will make Genetech think twice before breaching a contract again. Really? Given that the company is flush with $2 billion in cash. It seems like magic, but it isn't. So first of all, what we did was we, we got her to stretch out. Doing that laughing thing gets her to stop taking it so seriously. Stop trying to do radio. Stop trying to do my piece now. And just kind of goof off and stretch out. And she found some values in that laughing one. There was a few things that she had that were kind of like you need to say it. Like, just how much pain? That's how it's written is just how much pain will make Genentech think twice before breaching a contract again. Well, that and that that frowning thing, I'm telling you, it'll give you more authority. It's just amazing. Who else wants to go? Get up there. Be ready. Let's go. Go. No wasting time. We have no tick 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 tick. We could do this all day. Read news. You want to read news or feature? Hmm. Yeah, the middle paragraphs. And somebody else be ready to get right up there the minute we start the applause, okay? Jean-Luc, really. Let's, have, let's let somebody else do it. I can't just give it all to you, my love. But later. No, I'm just kidding. What's Taikua? Is that name of... I don't know. Go. From the rest stop, the group of 13 Taigua climbed through the snow and sleet to reach the foot of Cotopaxi's glacier at 15,000 feet. The children throw snowballs. The women, wrapped in shawls, carry... See the women, see the kids throwing snowballs. Take that sentence again. The children throw snowballs. The women, wrapped in shawls, carry pots of cooked potatoes on their backs. It's not a mystery. You hear the difference. One, she's in it, and one, she's not. One is a good read, and one is her there. One is me there, therefore. Well, that was clever. <laughs> one cousin takes out a flute to greet the spirit of the mountain. Alfonso Toaquiza, Alfonso Toaquiza breaks off a small piece of ten thousand year old. Let's ice take that greet that spirit of the. In his mouth. Take this greet this spirit of the mountain and take a pause after spirit and see if that adds anything to it. One cousin takes out a flute to greet the spirit. No pause after flute. See that's don't don't, don't break it up. But pause after spirit. 
One cousin Hello. takes out a flute to, to greet. One cousin takes out a flute to greet the spirit of the mountain. Yeah. See what happens? One cousin that tendency to want to take that pause at flute. There's there's not a common there, is there? No. Why do you want to do that? Flute. That's habit. That's public radio habit that we put these pauses in. But if you were talking to me, you'd say, he gets out a flute to do this. Now you go, he gets out a flute to do this. When you talk, you just keep going until you think of a new idea or you can't think of what you want to say, and then you stop and you breathe. You break it up. I mean, look at, look at what Ira does. Look at, look at this. Look what this conference is partly, you know, uh, the genesis of this conference. It's about sounding conversational, about continuing to talk the copy. And, and putting pauses in the middle of sentences and sometimes jamming sentences together. So that tendency to want to have that little lilting pause in there, try doing it. That's what I would advise. My, what little advice I have for you would be to see it and to just fl get that, let, let, let the copy flow a little bit more. Okay, give a round of applause. Next. Thanks, Claire. Uh, somebody be up. Somebody be up. Really, we want to try and help, help people as much as possible. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to bite you. News or feature? Uh, feature? Let's do something different. I've got this thing that was a, a piece I did for the planets here. I think that's the planets. Does that say planets? I don't have my glasses on. It's all right, just go. <laughs> don't think and don't talk. Go. No, I don't want to hear about it. Go. I love you, man, but just go. The idea that meteorites. Wait, get on the mic a little bit more. The idea that meteorites might have carried light from one planet to another had existed for decades. It was considered crazy, but there were some unusual meteorites around. No one had a clue where they were from. This way. Katie, didn't see it. The idea that meteorites, the idea that meteorites might have carried life from one planet to another had existed for decades. It was considered crazy, but there were some unusual meteorites around. No one had a clue where they were from. There was an equally crazy idea that they might have come from Mars, knocked off in a large impact. Good, let's take it from the top. What's your name? Johanna. So take it from the top, Johanna. Johanna or Johanna? Johanna. You're doing great. Okay. Isn't she? Yeah. She sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's just take it from the top. I know you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing me. You know what? I didn't say just say that. No, I'm telling you. I, I honestly, I try to be honest. That's my brand. As a comic, as a director, as an actor, whatever I am, I'm trying to just be honest. And so when I was saying that, I was sincere. Now, there are some times where I might say it where I'm not as sincere. <laughs> However, this was not one of those. <laughs> just to reassure you doubly. See it, and let's have you be a little laughing or drunk or something. Just give me some rock and roll on this. Use your hand. Drop the pen, drop the pen, and use your hand, and pretend you're at a cocktail party telling me about this. You've had a couple of drinks, and we're talking. The idea that meteorites might have carried life from one planet to another had existed for decades. It was considered crazy. God, that's but there crazy. were some unusual meteorites around. No one had a clue where they were from. There was an equally crazy idea. Give her a round of applause. <laughs> so it turns out that it isn't so wacky, this exercise. It turns out that sometimes that's a good take. But you won't know it if you don't try it. Who else? Up, 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 up. Not Jean-Luc. Hmm? Go. <laughs> I love you, man, but...
I got to try and spread the wealth here. But I don't blame you for trying. Really, how does that testosterone I'm working for you there, Jalik? I wish I had some. <laughs> Too funny. What are you, a soldier? What's with the arm? What do you got behind you? Can you give me flowers? What are you doing? Teapots? Flowers? What is this? Flowers. <laughs> Investigators believe it was the sharp... Use your handed gesture. Investigators believe it was the sharp back and forth motion of the rudder that caused the tail of the plane to fall off. Now, do that sentence again and put a pause after rudder. Investigators believe it was the sharp back and forth motion of the rudder that caused the tail of the plane to fall off. Rudder is highly operative. It's the story of this plane crash about what happened to the rudder. Once you emphasize it there and, put, and punch it a little bit and put a pause after it, you don't have to emphasize it again. Once you say somebody's name in a story or the topic in radio and audio, the way we listen is we, we get it. You don't have to keep talking about what the jury's going to decide or what investigators want to know. Right? Those are not operatives, even though from a grammar, English perspective, print perspective, that's the noun and the verb, blah, blah, blah. It isn't like that with radio. But that's a huge difference in the way we understand the story. When you put that pause in it, rudder, there's no common there, but it's halfway through the sentence, a little bit more than half. And it's a long sentence. You're going to need it. Keep it going. Investigators believe it was the sharp back and forth motion of the rudder that caused the tail of the plane to fall off. Can you bring the copy up to eye level? So you don't want to be talking down. You want the chin parallel to the floor and then relax it because otherwise you're going to get this. Co-pilot Stan Mullen was using... Shaking a little bit here. Co-pilot Stan Mullen was using the rudder to gain control of the aircraft after it hit wake turbulence created by a plane flying five miles ahead. Investigators want to know whether Mullen caused the rudder movement or whether a design flaw is to blame. Several pilots who had flown hundreds of miles with Mullen testified that they had never seen him be too aggressive with the rudder. But American Airlines Captain John Lavelle said that on one occasion, Mullen did hit the rudder pedals very fast. A spokesman for American says there is no evidence that Mullen used the rudder too aggressively. Good, just take the last two sentences and see if you could just tell me. Start with Well, Marilyn, and see if that works better. Well, Marilyn, but American Airlines Captain John Lavelle said that on one occasion, Mullen did hit the, the rudder pedals very fast. Well, Marilyn, a spokesperson for Americans says that there is no evidence that Mullen used the rudder too aggressively. Would it be too much to ask of you to do it drunk or laughing? Just those last two sentences? You try? <laughs> you can say no. Because if you're nervous, it might be too, it might be too much. Well, let's see. <laughs> drunk or laughing, what are you going to do? Uh, I'm going to try drunk. <laughs> what do you drink? <laughs> it's a big drinking crowd, I've noticed. What... <laughs> I can't really believe this Alki's around here. Um, what, what do you drink? Red wine? Uh, scotch? What do you drink? Everything. <laughs> All right, well... Whiskey. Wow, cool. All right, so whiskey, go. Yeah? But American Airlines... But American Airlines... Airlines Captain... John, John Lavelle. On one occasion... Mullen did hit the rattle pedals very fast. But in your own voice... In your own voice. But American Airlines captain... No, I mean um, drunk in your own voice. You were kind of doing that thing, that, the character thing. But American Airlines captain... But American Airlines captain John Lavelle said that on one occasion, Mullen did hit the rudder pedals very fast. Are you drunk or retarded? <laughs> How about laughing? Can we hear laughing? Do you do laughing? I'm just teasing you now. 
I'm sorry. It was just too easy. So now do it as you. Dwayne, what is it? What's your name again? Daniel. Daniel, I'm sorry. I'm blind. Sucks. Yeah, copy up, handout of the pocket, and gesture. Say, so what's going on? What happened, Daniel? But American Airlines captain John Lavelle said that on one occasion, yeah. Molin did hit the rudder pedals very fast. Yeah, go on. A spokesman, a spokesman for American says that there is no evidence that Molin used the rudder too aggressively. That's the tape. There it is. Give him a round of applause. You got to loosen up. You get that hand, look what happens when he moves his hand and when he doesn't. One is conversational, one is not, because he actually looks like he's talking. Because that's what we do. We don't go, today in the news, we go, hi, how are you? Well, I got this story to tell you, and I'm going to tell you about the story just like this. You're like, hey, I got a story. What? When I voice, I'm sitting down. Yes? <laughs> why? Stand. Want to know why? First of all, if you sit, sit on the edge of the chair to tilt your pelvis forward so that your belly relaxes so you can breathe from your stomach because otherwise what you do is you curve over the console and you can't breathe like this. So when I stand, I've got more energy in my body, just I'm more in my body. And then I've got my hands free and I can, you know, I can move around. I mean, I'm not going to go off mic, but I can be more free physically. I'm more able to be f loose, fluid, conversational, look conversational, seem engaged. Yes. Do you believe there's a place for deadpan in radio? Yeah. In fact, what happened in advertising voiceover about 15 years ago is that what be it became about real people and sounding that flat deadpan, and deadpan stayed. I mean, it's just been really, really popular in the advertising world, and you hear it a lot. Uh, that guy that was on Comedy Central. So yeah, deadpan. God, there isn't enough deadpan in the world. Definitely. I mean, you're not, you know, if you're telling a story, you can do whatever you want. If it's not news, news, if it's not n news, as we say in Southern Illinois, where I'm from, N-O-O-S or Z, if it's not news, then uh, you can really put yourself into it, right? I mean, you should be able to really be as deadpan or as animated as you want to be, depending on who you are. I take it you're deadpan. I mean, just as a listener, I mean, certainly there's a lot more of it. Well, yeah, and if you look at the work of Stephen Wright, one of the best, I saw this new special with him, that's just, he's just brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant stuff. Totally, you totally are just, but it has punchlines, see? So then that makes it even easier to listen to because you're listening for the laughing. You're, you're waiting to laugh. With deadpan, just narration, you got to be careful that it's not so deadpan that it's dead, that it doesn't sound like a PBS documentary or baseball game and put me to sleep. I value that, though. Um, yes? Um, when I'm working on build interviews, I find that oh, sorry. Um, oftentimes I'll have a different voice within each interview. And when I'm trying to put one piece together, and I sound like five different people or seven different people, mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. doesn't work so well. Um, do you have any suggestions? You, you sound like different people in the different interview because you're a chameleon, you match to the person you're interviewing? Is that what you mean? <laughs> I, I do that. Realistic, but my voice will sound really young or high-pitched or... Different times of the day, I don't know. Well, even, in, you know, within an hour, and I've done 10 different interviews, and it's not consistent. Yeah, I, I find that can be part of empathizing with the person you're with. If you're talking to a child, if you're talking to an older person, you, you 
almost like match their energy or I start to use lights when I do interviews with younger people. Yeah, what's up with that? I think you have to be a little more, I mean, we talk about anchor, what anchor means in my workshops. We talk about anchoring, you know, an anchor anchors you. And I think as a host, a host is an anchor of some sort. And we want that same consistent person. They can have different tones, but not, not so flexible and not so chameleon-like that, that it weakens the brand. We talk about that too. You know, the brand we want, as a listener, we want to feel that this is a reliable, predictable thing. It's one of the things radio is great for is we feel like we're, you know, we're comforted by that sameness. So cut it out. <laughs> I don't know what to say. We're out of time. Yeah.